Section two of Bush Studies by Barbara Bainton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Squeaker's Mate. The woman carried the bag with the axe and maul and wedges. The man had the billy and clean tucker bags. The cross-cut saw linked them. She was taller than the man, and the equability of her body, contrasting with his indolent slouch, accentuated the difference. Squeaker's mate, the men called her, and these agreed that she was the best long-haired mate that ever stepped in petticoats. The selector's wives pretended to challenge her right to womanly garments, but if she knew what they said, it neither turned nor troubled Squeaker's mate. Nine prospective posts and maybe sixteen rails, she calculated this yellow gum would yield. Come on, she encouraged the man. Let's tackle it. From the bag she took the axe, and ring-barked a preparatory circle, while he looked for a shady spot for the billy and tucker-bags. Come on. She was waiting with the greased saw. He came. The saw rasped through a few inches, then he stopped and looked at the sun. It's nigh tucker-time he said. And when she dissented, he exclaimed with sudden energy, "'There's another bee. Wait, you go on with the axe, and I'll track him.' As they came, they had already followed one, and located the nest. She could not see the bee he spoke of, though her grey eyes were as keen as a black's. However, she knew the man, and her tolerance was of the mysteries. She drew out the saw, spat on her hands, and with the axe began weakening the inclining side of the tree. Long and steadily, and in secret, the worm had been busy in the heart. Suddenly the axe-blade sank softly. The tree's wounded edges closed on it like a vice. There was a settling quiver on its top branches, which the woman heard and understood. The man, encouraged by the sounds of the axe, had returned with an armful of sticks for the billy. He shouted gleefully, it's fallen look out but she waited to free the axe with a shivering groan the tree fell and as she sprang aside a thick worm-eaten branch snapped at a joint and silently she went down under it i told you to look out he reminded her as with a crowbar and grunting earnestly he forced it up now get out quick she tried moving her arms and the upper part of her body do this do that he directed, but she made no movement after the first. He was impatient, because for once he had actually to use his strength. His share of a heavy lift usually consisted of a make-believe grunt, delivered at a critical moment. Yet he hardly cared to let it again fall on her, though he told her he would, if she didn't shift. Near him lay a piece of broken short. With his foot he drew it nearer, then gradually worked it into a position till it acted as a stay to the lever. He laid her on her back when he drew her out, and waited, expecting some acknowledgment of his exertions, but she was silent, and as she did not notice that the axe she had tried to save lay with the fallen trunk across it, he told her. She cared almost tenderly for all their possessions, and treated them as friends, but the half-buried broken axe did not affect her. He wondered a little, for only last week she had patiently chipped out the old broken head and put in a new handle. "'Feel bad?' he inquired at length. "'Pipe,' she replied with slack lips. Both pipes lay in the fork of a near tree. He took his, shook out the ashes, filled it, picked up a coal and puffed till it was alight. Then he filled hers. 
Taking a small fire-stick, he handed her the pipe. The hand she raised shook and closed in an uncertain hold, but she managed by a great effort to get it to her mouth. He lost patience with the swaying hand that tried to take the light. "'Quick,' he said. "'Quick, that damn dog's at the tucker!' He thrust it into her hand that dropped helplessly across her chest. The lighted stick, falling between her bare arm and the dress, slowly roasted the flesh and smouldered the clothes. He rescued their dinner, pelted his dog out of sight. Hers was lying near her head. Put on the billy, then came back to her. The pipe had fallen from her lips. There was blood on the stem. "'Did you jam your tongue?' he asked. She always ignored trifles he knew. Therefore he passed her silence. He told her that her dress was on fire. She took no heed. He put it out and looked at the burnt arm, then with intentness at her. Her eyes were turned unblinkingly to the heavens. Her lips were grimly apart, and a strange greyness was upon her face, and the sweat beads were mixing. Like a drink of tea. Asleep. He broke a green branch from the fallen tree and swished from his face the multitudes of flies that had descended with it. In a heavy way, he wondered why did she sweat when she was not working? Why did she not keep the flies out of her mouth and eyes? She'd have bungy eyes if she didn't. If she was asleep, why did she not close them? But asleep or awake, as the billy began to boil, he left her, made the tea, and ate his dinner. His dog had disappeared, and as it did not come to his whistle, he threw the pieces to hers that would not leave her head to reach them. He whistled tunelessly his one air, beating his own time with a stick on the toe of his blucher, then looked overhead at the sun and calculated that she must have been lying like that for close up an hour. He noticed that the axe handle was broken in two places, and speculated a little as to whether she would again pick out the back broken handle or burn it out in his method, which was less trouble, if it did spoil the temper of the blade. He examined the worm-dust in the stump and limbs of the newly fallen tree, mounted it and looked round the plain. The sheep were straggling in a manner that meant walking work to round them, and he supposed he would have to yard them to-night if she didn't liven up. He looked down at unenlivened her. This changed his tune to a call for his hiding dog. "'Come on, old feller," he commanded her dog. "'Fetch him back.' He whistled further instructions, slapping his thigh and pointing to the sheep. But a brace of wrinkles either side of the brute's closed mouth demonstrated determined disobedience. The dog would go if she told him, and by and by she would. He lighted his pipe and killed half an hour smoking. With the frugality that hard graft begets, his mate limited both his and her own tobacco, so he must not smoke all afternoon. There was no work to shirk so time began to drag. Then a goanna crawling up a tree attracted him. He gathered various missiles and tried vainly to hit the seemingly grinning reptile. He came back and sneaked a fill of her tobacco, and while he was smoking, the white tilt of a cart caught his eye. He jumped up. "'There's Red Bob, gone to our place for the honey,' he said. "'I'll go and weigh it and get the gones.' He ran for the cart, and kept looking back as if fearing she would follow and thwart him. Red Bob the dealer was, in a business way, 
greatly concerned when he found that Squeaker's mate was avin asleep out there cause a tree fell on her. She was the best honey strainer and boiler that he dealt with. She was straight and square too. There was no water in her honey, whether boiled or merely strained, and in every kerosene tin the weight of honey was to an ounce, as she said. Besides, he was suspicious and diffident of paying the indecently eager Squeaker before he saw the woman. So reluctantly Squeaker led to where she lay. With many fierce oaths Red Bob sent her lawful protector for help, and compassionately poured a little from his flask down her throat, then swished away the flies from her till help came. Together these men stripped a sheet of bark, and laying her with pathetic tenderness upon it, carried her to her hut. Squeaker followed in the rear with the billy and tucker. Red Bob took his horse from the cart, and went to town for the doctor. Late that night at the back of the old hut, there were two, he and others who had heard that she was hurt, squatted with unlighted pipes in their mouths, waiting to hear the doctor's verdict. After he had given it and gone, they discussed in whispers, and with a look seen only on bush faces, the hard luck of that woman, who alone had hard-grafted with the best of them, for every acre and hoof on that selection. Squeaker would go through it in no time. Why she had allowed it to be taken up in his name, when the money had been her own, was also for them among the mysteries. Him, they called, an old woman, not because he was hanging round the honey-tins, but after man's fashion, to eliminate all virtue. They beckoned him, and explaining his mate's injury, cautioned him to keep her from the knowledge that she would be for ever a cripple. Just the same, now, then for him, pointing to Red Bob, to pay me, I'll have to go to town. They told him in whispers what they thought of him, and with a cowardly look towards where she lay, but without a word of parting, like shadows these men made for their homes. Next day the women came. Squeaker's mate was not a favourite with them. A woman with no leisure for yarning was not likely to be. After the first day they left her severely alone, with their plea to their husbands, her uncompromising independence. It is in the ordering of things that by degrees most husbands accept their wives' views of other women. The flower-bespattering squeaker's now-neglected clothes spoke eloquently of his clumsy efforts at damper-making. The woman gave him many a feed, agreeing that it must be miserable for him. If it were miserable and lonely for his mate, she did not complain. For her the long, long days would give place to longer nights. Those nights, with the pregnant bush silence, suddenly cleft by a bush voice. However, she was not fanciful, and being a bush scholar knew, twas a dingo, when a long whine came from the scrub on the skirts of which lay the axe under the worm-eaten tree. That quivering wail from the billabong, lying murkily mystic towards the east, was only the cry of the fearing curlew. Always her dog, wakeful and watchful as she, patiently waiting for her to be up and about again, that would be soon, she told her complaining mate. You won't. Your back's broke, said Squeaker laconically. That's what's wrong with you. Injury to the spine. Doctor says that means back's broke, and you won't never walk no more. No good not to tell you, cause I can't be doing everything. A wild look grew on her face, and she tried to sit up. Yeah, said he. See, you can't. You're just the same as a snake when his back's broke. 
only you don't bite yourself like a snake does when he can't crawl you did bite your tongue when you fell she gasped and he could hear her heart beating when she let her head fall back a few moments though she wiped her wet forehead with the back of her hand and still said that was the doctor's mistake but day after day she tested her strength and whatever the result was silent though white witnesses halo-wise gradually circled her brow and temples tisn't as if you was a goin to get better to-morrow the doctor says you won't never work no more and i can't be cookin and workin and doin everything he muttered something about sellin out but she firmly refused to think of such a monstrous proposal he went into town one saturday afternoon soon after and did not return till monday her supplies a billy of tea and scraps of salt beef and damper her dog got the beef gave out the first day though that was as nothing to her compared with the bleat of the penned sheep for it was summer and droughty and her dog could not unpen them of them and her dog only she spoke when he returned he blank him and blank her and told her to double up your old broke back and bite yourself he threw things about made a long-range feint of kicking her threatening dog then sat outside in the shade of the old hut nursing his head till he slept she for many reasons had when necessary made these trips into town walking both ways leading a pack-horse for supplies she never failed to indulge him in a half-pint a pipe was her luxury the sheep waited till next day so did she for a few days he worked a little in her sight not much he never did it was she who always lifted the heavy end of the log and carried the tools he the billy and tucker she wearily watched him idling his time reminded him that the wire lying near the fence would rust one could run the wire through easily and when she got up in a day or so she would help strain and fasten it at first he pretended he had done it later he said he wasn't goin to go wirin or nothin else by himself if every other man on the place did she spoke of many other things that could be done by one reserving the great till she was well sometimes he whistled while she spoke often swore generally went out and when this was inconvenient dull as he was he found the go and bite yourself like a snake would instantly silence her at last the work worry ceased to exercise her and for night to bring him home was a rare thing her dog rounded and yarded the sheep when the sun went down and there was no sign of him and together they kept watch on their movements till dawn she was mindful not to speak of this care to him knowing he would have left it for them to do constantly and she noticed that what little interest he seemed to share went to the sheep why was soon demonstrated through the cracks her ever watchful eyes one day saw the dust rise out of the plain nearer it came till she saw him and a man on horseback rounding and driving the sheep into the yard and later both left in charge of a little mob there bah bahs to her were cries for help many had been pets so he was selling her sheep to the town butchers in the middle of the next week he came from town with a fresh horse new saddle and bridle he wore a flash red shirt and round his neck a silk handkerchief 
On the next occasion she smelt scent, and though he did not try to display the dandy meerschaum, she saw it, and heard the squeak of the new boots, not Blucher's. However, he was kinder to her this time, offering a fill of his cut tobacco. He had long ceased to keep her supplied. Several of the men who sometimes in passing took a look in would have made up her loss had they known, but no word of complaint passed her lips. She looked at Squeaker as he filled his pipe from his pouch, but he would not meet her eyes, and, seemingly dreading something, slipped out. She heard him hammering in the old hut at the back, which served for tools and other things which sunlight and rain did not hurt. Quite briskly he went in and out. She could see him through the cracks, carrying a narrow strip of bark, and understood he was making a bunk. When it was finished he had a smoke, then came to her and fidgeted about. He said this hut was too cold, and that she would never get well in it. She did not feel cold, but submitting to his mood, allowed him to make a fire that would roast a sheep. He took off his hat, and fanning himself, said he was roastin', wasn't she? She was. He offered to carry her into the other. He would put a new roof on it in a day or two, and it would be better than this one, and she would be up in no time. He stood to say this where she could not see him. His eagerness had tripped him. There were months to run before all the government conditions of residence, etc., in connection with the selection, would be fulfilled. Still, she thought perhaps he was trying to sell out, and she would not go. He was away four days that time, and when he returned, slept in the new bunk. She compromised. Would he put a bunk there for himself, keep out of town, and not sell the place? He promised instantly, with additions. Try, could you crawl yourself? he coaxed, looking at her bulk. Her nostrils quivered, with her suppressed breathing, and her lips tightened, but she did not attempt to move. It was evident some great purpose actuated him. After attempts to carry and drag her, he rolled her on the sheet of bark that had brought her home, and laboriously drew her round. She asked for a drink. He placed her billy and tin pint besides the bunk, and left her, gasping and dazed, to her sympathetic dog. She saw him run up and yard his horse, and though she called him, he would not answer nor come. When he rode swiftly towards the town, her dog leaped on the bunk and joined a refrain to her lamentation, but the cat took to the bush. He came back at dusk next day in a spring cart, not alone. He had another mate. She saw her, though he came a roundabout way, trying to keep in front of the new hut. There were noises of moving many things from the cart to the hut. Finally he came to a crack near where she lay, and whispered the promise of many good things to her if she kept quiet and that he would set her hut afire if she didn't. She was quiet. He need not have feared. For that time she was past it. She was stunned. The released horse came stumbling round to the old hut, and thrust its head in the door in a domesticated fashion. Her dog promptly resented this straggler, mistaking their hut for a stable. And the dog's angry descent, together with the shod clatter of the rapidly disappearing intruder, seemed to have a disturbing effect on the pair in the new hut. The settling sound suddenly ceased, and the cripple heard the stranger close the door, despite Squeaker's assurances that the woman in the old hut could not move from her bunk to save her life, 
and that her dog would not leave her. Food, more and better, was placed near her, but, dumb and motionless, she lay with her face turned to the wall, and her dog growled menacingly at the stranger. The new woman was uneasy, and told Squeaker what people might say and do if she died. He scared at the do, went into the bush, and waited. She went to the door, not the crack. The face was turned that way, and said she had come to cook and take care of her. The disabled woman, turning her head slowly, looked steadily at her. She was not much to look at. Her red hair hung in an uncurled bang over her forehead. The lower part of her face had robbed the upper, and her figure evinced imminent motherhood, though it is doubtful if the barren woman, noting this, knew by calculation the paternity was not squeakers. She was not learned in these matters, though she understood all about a ewe and lamb. One circumstance was apparent. Ah, bitterest of all bitterness to women, she was younger. The thick hair that fell from the brow of the woman on the bunk was white now. Bread and butter the woman brought. The cripple looked at it, at her dog, at the woman. Bread and butter for a dog! But the stranger did not understand till she saw it offered to the dog. The bread and butter was not for the dog. She brought meat. All next day the man kept hidden. The cripple saw his dog and knew he was about. But there was an end of this pretense when at dusk he came back with a show of haste and a finger of his right hand bound and ostentatiously prominent. His entrance caused great excitement to his new mate. The old mate, who knew this snake-bite trick from its inception, maybe, realised how useless were the terrified stranger's efforts to rouse the snoring man after an empty pint-bottle had been flung on the outside heap. However, what the sick woman thought was not definite, for she kept silent always. Neither was it clear how much she ate, and how much she gave to her dog, though the new mate said to Squeaker one day that she believed that the dog would not take a bite more than its share. The cripple's silence told on the stranger, especially when alone. She would rather have abuse. Eagerly she counted the days past, and two pass, then back to the town. She told no word of that hope to Squeaker. He had no place in her plans for the future. So if he spoke of what they would do, by and by, when his time would be up, and he able to sell out, she listened in uninterested silence. She did tell him she was afraid of her, and after the first day would not go within reach, but every morning made a billy of tea, which with bread and beef Squeaker carried to her. The rubbish heap was adorned, for the first time, with jam and fish tins from the table in the new hut. It seemed to be understood that neither woman nor dog in the old hut required them. Squeaker's dog sniffed and barked joyfully around them, till his licking efforts to bottom a salmon tin sent him careering in a muzzled frenzy that caused the younger woman's thick lips to part grinningly till he came too close. The remaining sheep were regularly yarded. His old mate heard him whistle as he did it. Squeaker began to work about a little burning off, so that now, added to the other bush voices, was the call from some untimely falling giant. There is no sound so human as that from the riven souls of these tree people, or the trembling sighs of their upright neighbours whose hands in time will meet over the victim's fallen body. There was no bunk on the side of the hut to which her eyes turned, but her dog filled that space. 
and the flush that passed between this back-broken woman and her dog might have been the spirit of these slain tree-folk it was so wondrous ghostly still at times the practical in her would be dominant for in a mind so free of fancies backed by bodily strength hope died slowly and forgetful of self she would almost call to squeaker her fears that certain bees nests were in danger he went into town one day and returned as he had promised long before sundown and next day a clothesline bridged the space between two trees near the back of the old hut and an equally rare occurrence squeaker placed across his shoulders the yoke that his old mate had fashioned for herself with two kerosene tins attached and brought them filled with water from the distant creek but both only partly filled the tub a new purchase without a disregard of the heat and squeaker's sweating brow his new mate said even after another trip two more now for the blue water under her commands he brought them though sullenly perhaps contrasting the old mate's methods with the new his old mate had periodically carried their washing to the creek and his moleskins had been as white as snow without aid of blue towards noon on the clothesline many strange garments fluttered suggestive of a taunt to the barren woman when the sun went down she would have seen the assiduous squeaker lower the new prop sticks and considerately stoop to gather the pegs his inconsiderate new mate had dropped however after one load of water next morning on hearing her estimate that three more would put her own things through squeaker struck nothing he could urge would induce the stranger to trudge to the creek where thirst slaked snakes lay waiting for someone to bite she sulked and pretended to pack up till a bright idea struck squeaker he fastened a cask on a sledge and harnessing the new horse hitched him to it and under the approving eyes of his new mate led off to the creek though when she went inside he bestrode the spiritless brute he had various mishaps any one of which would have served as an excuse to his old mate but even babes soon know on whom to impose with an energy new to him he persevered and filled the cask but the old horse repudiated such a burden even under squeaker's unmerciful welts almost half was sorrowfully bailed out and under a rain of wax the horse shifted it a few paces but the cask tilted and the thirsty earth got its contents all squeaker's adjectives over his wasted labour were as unveiling as the cure for spilt milk it took skill and patience to rig the cask again he partly filled it and just as success seemed probable the rusty wire fastening the cask to the sledge snapped with the strain and springing free coiled affectionately around the terrified horse's hocks despite the sledge the cask had been soon disposed of that old town horse's pace then was his record hours after on the plain that met the horizon loomed two specks the distance between them might be gauged for the larger was squeaker anticipating a plentiful supply and lacking in bush caution the new mate used the half bucket of water to boil the salt mutton towards noon she laid this joint and bread on the rough table then watched anxiously in the wrong direction for squeaker she had drained the new teapot earlier but she placed the spout to her thirsty mouth again she continued looking for him for hours had he sneaked off to town thinking she had not used that water or not caring whether or no she did not trust him another had left her 
Besides, she judged Squeaker by his treatment of the woman who was lying in there with wide-open eyes. Anyhow, no use to cry with only that silent woman to hear her. Had she drunk all hers? She tried to see at long range through the cracks, but the hanging bedclothes hid the billy. She went to the door, and avoiding the bunk, looked at the billy. It was half full. Instinctively she knew that the eyes of the woman were upon her. She turned away, and hoped and waited for thirsty minutes that seemed hours. Desperation drove her back to the door. Dared she? No, she couldn't. Getting a long forked prop stick, she tried to reach it from the door, but the dog sprang at the stick. She dropped it and ran. A scraggy growth fringed the edge of the plain. There was the creek. How far? she wondered. Oh, very far, she knew. And besides, there were only a few holes where water was, and the snakes. For Squeaker, with a desire to shine in her eyes, was continually telling her of the snakes, vicious and many, that daily he did battle with. She recalled the evening he came from hiding in the scrub with a string round one finger, and said a snake had bitten him. He had drunk the pint of brandy she had brought for her sickness, and then slept till morning. True, although next day he had to dig for the string round the blue swollen finger, he was not worse than the many she had seen at the shearer's rest, suffering a recovery. There was no brandy to cure her if she were bitten. She cried a little in self-pity, then withdrew her eyes, that were getting red, from the outlying creek, and went again to the door. She of the bunk lay with closed eyes. Was she asleep? The stranger's heart leapt, yet she was hardly in earnest as she tiptoed Billywoods. The dog, crouching with head between two paws, eyed her steadily, but showed no opposition. She made dumb show. I want to be friends with you, and won't hurt her. Abruptly she looked at her, then at the dog. He was motionless and emotionless. Besides, if that dog, certainly watching her, wanted to bite her, her dry mouth opened, it could get her any time. She rated this dog's intelligence almost human from many of its actions in omission and commission in connection with this woman. She regretted the pole. No dog would stand that. Two more steps. Now just one more. Then, by bending and stretching her arm, she would reach it. Could she now? She tried to encourage herself by remembering how close on the first day she had been to the woman, and how delicious a few mouthfuls would be, swallowing dry mouthfuls. She measured the space between where she had first stood and the billy. Could she get anything to draw it to her? No, the dog would not stand that, and besides, the handle would rattle, and she might hear and open her eyes. The thought of those sunken eyes suddenly opening made her heart bound. Oh, she must breathe. Deep, loud breaths. Her throat clicked noisily. Looking back fearfully, she went swiftly out. She did not look for Squeaker this time. She had given him up. While she waited for her breath to steady, to her relief and surprise, the dog came out. She made a rush to the new hut, but he passed seemingly oblivious of her and bounding across the plain began rounding the sheep. Then he must know Squeaker had gone to town. Stay! Her heart beat violently. Was it because she on the bunk slept and did not want him? 
she waited till her heart quieted and again crept to the door the head of the woman on the bunk had fallen towards the wall as in deep sleep it was turned from the billy to which she must creep so softly slower from caution and deadly earnestness she entered she was not so advanced as before and felt fairly secure for the woman's eyes were still turned to the wall and so tightly closed she could not possibly see where she was she would bend right down and try and reach it from where she was she bent it was so swift and sudden that she had not time to scream when those bony fingers had gripped the hand that she prematurely reached for the billy she was frozen with horror for a moment then her screams were piercing panting with victory the prostrate one held her with a hold that the other did not attempt to free herself from down down she drew her her lips had drawn back from her teeth and her breath almost scorched the face that she held so close for the staring eyes to gloat over her exultation was so great that she could only gloat and gasp and hold with a tension that had stopped the victim's circulation as a wounded robbed tigress might hold and look she held and looked neither heard the swift steps of the man and if the tigress saw him enter she was not daunted take me from her shrieked the terrified one quick take me from her she repeated it again nothing else take me from her he hastily fastened the door and said something that the shrieks drowned then picked up the pole it fell with a thud across the arms which the tightening sinews had turned into steel once twice thrice then the one that got the fullest force bent that side of the victim was free the pole had snapped another blow with a broken end freed the other side still shrieking take me from her take me from her she beat on the closed door till squeaker opened it then he had to face and reckoned with his old mate's maddened dog that the closed door had baffled the dog suffered the shrieking woman to pass but though squeaker in bitten agony broke the stick across the dog he was forced to give the savage brute best call him off mary he's eaten me he implored oh call him off but with stony face the woman lay motionless sulimonteur he indicated his new mate who as though all the plain led to the desired town still ran in unreasoning terror it's all o doin he pleaded springing on the bunk beside his old mate but when to rouse her sympathy he would have laid his hand on her the dog's teeth fastened in it and pulled him back end of section 2